about and uh, in Colossians. Uh, so this morning, as we look at the second chapter of Colossians, it's important for us to take uh, the time to remind ourselves of what we have learned, uh, what we learned last week. We learned that a letter was written to a group of Christians in a town called Colossae. We also learned that the reason for this letter was due to the fact that there was danger on the horizon. We also learned that Epaphras, a fellow Colossian, whom Paul deemed as a faithful minister and a man who worked hard for other churches in towns such as Laodicea and <clears throat> Hierapolis, goes to Paul to let him know uh, that the Colossians were doing well, but problems were afoot. We also learned that Paul makes it a point to let the saints and the faithful brothers of Colossae know that the whole focal point of the Christian life for them is knowing, loving, and abiding in Christ. Without the centra centrality of Christ, madness always, always, always ensues. So in chapter 1, verses 15, 17, we saw that Christ is central to creation and all that exists. In verses 18, 20 of chapter 1, we, saw, we see how Christ is central to the church. And in verses 24 uh, to 29, we get a glimpse of how Christ is central to ministry. With that said, my hope this morning for us is that we will continue to see the red thread that runs through this letter written long ago, but is so very applicable for us today. There are three things I would like for us to see. First, how central Christ is for our Christian walk. Second, how central Christ is to our salvation. And lastly, how central Christ is to our growth in him. And how we're going to play this out is I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read it in chunks. So as you will be able to follow through your, your outline, um, and as I read each uh, chunk of uh, scripture, then we'll, we'll get into what God has for us. So our first point, we're going to be reading verses out of chapter 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So as we look at our first point here, Christ, he is central to our walk, our Christian walk. In the first two verses, Paul goes into letting the, the, the Colossians know that he has a, there's a, there's a struggle. The struggle is a struggle of love. And as, if you've been walking with the Lord at any length of time, if you have been a leader in the church, if you're 
a pastor or, or a deacon or you've been serving in the church, you know you labor for others. Sometimes we're in a body and we don't know everybody, some of the people we know. And this is what I see Paul being an example for us. If there is a labor of love, he's struggling. Because if you see in these passages, Paul says, some of the people, you never see me. As I understand it, Paul had never had an opportunity to visit, visit Colossae. So remember, he's hearing about these things. But churches in Laodicea, Colossae, and other places is an outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesians. As we move further down, we look at um, Paul's desire for the Colossians. There are a few things. In verses 2 to 4, one, he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to be knit together in love. He also wanted them to reach all the riches, not some of the riches, not a few riches, but all the riches of assurance, of understanding. He also wanted them to have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ Jesus. And he warned them. And he wanted these things because he didn't want them to be deluded by plausible arguments. So it's clear. We can't have a strong walk if Christ is not central, if we are not encouraged, if we are not knit together in love, if we don't have a desire to understand all that Christ has for us through his word and how applicable it is day in and day out. And as we look at our culture, you all know that every day we face some plausible argument, whether it's through advertisement, through entertainment. Some of us have family members who are always saying or doing something that's always going to challenge our worldview. Christ is simply central to our walk. It's central to our survival. So we move on to point B. We move on from verses 6 and 7. It says here, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What do we notice here? Well, the Colossians received Christ. So this is a past tense issue. What does he want from them? He wants them to do. He says, says here, they are to walk in Christ, being rooted and built up in Christ, to be established in Christ, abounding in thanksgiving. And the piece that I always thought was interesting, he says, these things were taught to you. So he's not telling the Colossians something that the Colossians something that they don't already know. But it's good to be reminded. I would encourage you all to think about your walk with the Lord and how often you, the trials that you face to move through walk, you know, day to day, just walking in Christ, being rooted and built up. I know this week, just preparing, these last couple of weeks preparing for this lesson, I had many challenges. 
that, that um, pushed against me being rooted and built up in Christ, but because I was able to talk to some of you, you helped me to stay rooted and built up and established, which caused me to be abounding in thanksgiving. So this is a personal thing for me. Um, and I think anytime we have an opportunity to share the gospel or to, to preach or teach, it should be. Because our God is a personable God. We're going to move on to see, it says here, avoid human wisdom. We're going to be in verses 8 through 10. It says here, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Here we see where verses 3, in the beginning of the chapter, come into play. Because verse 3 points to a simple fact that all wisdom and all knowledge belongs and is found in Christ. What is Paul pointing out here? Philosophy. And I wanted to make a note, I actually had a conversation with Nick a couple of weeks ago, and um, we were having just a, just nerding out on theology, and uh, we were just both coming to the realization and, and a point to that. Overall, a lot of times in Christian circles, we look at philosophy as just like being bad. But philosophy in and of itself uh, isn't bad. For example, one of the branches of philosophy is math. Another branch of philosophy is logic, which is word math. So Paul's not talking about using our reasoning, reasoning um, at all. Like look at science, for example. Um, there's good science, right? And there's people who have pseudoscience. So Paul, in the context, wouldn't be pushing us away from scientific methods. Not at all. But what he's pointing out here that there's a certain philosophy, a certain understanding that comes from the world. And where's this philosophy coming from? What is part of the root of it? Empty deceit, arrogance, pride, full of self, human tradition. We get caught up in that, whether it's on a national scale or on, on just, just in our home. And the worldly spirits. When I looked at that, I thought, okay, well, look at the philosophy and the worldly spirits. There are things like, uh, look at philosophy, for example, this thing called... That's why I show of hands. How many of you know or ever heard of the word or term hedonism? Okay. So real quick, just a, hedonism is a view, and there's different branches of hedonism. Hedonism is a view that an individual or group of people seek pleasure. That's their presupposition. So with having that as their presupposition, if you come to them talking to them about Christ and suffering, that's why they're going to push back. Not because they don't understand what you're telling them, their presupposition is, I need pleasure. At all costs, at any point, at any point, at any time. These are the kinds of things that Paul is talking about. <clears throat> so Paul, in that, Paul reminds the Colossians of Christ's deity and that he is the head of all rule and authority. 
it's important for us to remember those things. Because day to day, matter of fact, I just, just moments before I walked up here, I got done talking to a brother. I said, how did your week go? He was like, I don't remember. It went that quick, that fast. Why am I saying that? Because life can move really, really quickly and really fast, and we can forget who's in control. And by default, we can start thinking that we are. And we don't need that, we don't want it. It doesn't help anybody. So we're gonna move on to our second point, which means we're gonna be in verses 11 to 12. It says here, in verses 11 to 12, it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Our second point points out that Christ is central to our salvation. He's central to our walk. He's central to our salvation. There's freedom to be found in Christ. And what I would like to draw your attention to in these passages is this. God did it all, plain and simple. Circumcision, his idea, he provided that. Baptism, his idea, he provided that. Faith was imparted to all of us at some point before we were able to sit in this chair. And the big one, the sacrifice was provided. Christ. Circumcision, baptism, faith, and sacrifice. I'm drawing your attention to something. These things don't belong to us. By his grace, they have been imparted to us. He has shared these things with us. He invented them. He created them. He imparted it to them. He used these things to bring and draw and keep and maintain us. Whether it's locally, globally, or nationally. Point B. Verses 13 to 15. It reads this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling a record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. A debt paid in full. We go right back up to verses six and seven, one of the things he says, being bounding in thanksgiving. I loved doing this, uh, lessons because I was just making connections. And my biggest challenge was, because um, Craig came to me and said, hey, just, just do an overview. So my challenge was do an overview. I wanted to parse out and share everything. So I'm sharing with you these little things that I noticed, these little connections, being bounding in Thanksgiving. Well, gee, why? Why, James? Because the debt was paid. And if we're honest, we're all dirty little birdies, plain and simple. We all know what we think on a day-to-day -day basis. We all know what background we've come from. 
So it made me think about The Walking Dead, a show I used to watch, I stopped watching, um, and I thought about we were walking dead, and we're still walking dead. We're on the other side of that fence. We're dead in our sins. Now we're dead to sin. Only God can do something like that. Only God can do something like that. I believe that. That deserves an amen. So how did he accomplish this? What did he do? He says, the trespassers in our sins. What are our trespassers? The flesh, the, the, the carnality of it. God made us alive by making us dead to the world. And our worldly pleasures. He counted our debt and disarmed all the rulers and authorities through shame by nailing Christ on the tree. I think that's a really good reason to abound in thankfulness. We're going to move on to our last and final point. Here we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 17. It says here, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, Christ is central to our growth, to our walk, to our growth. <clears throat> Here we see legalism rear its ugly head. <clears throat> and it does. Sometimes in me. How I've raised my boys. How I've treated my wife. <clears throat> how I talk to others. And God has to remind me through others, through his word, slow down. So, what's the dangers here? What are the Colossians facing? What's going on? No judgment should be passed concerning traditions, new moons, festivals, Sabbaths. Why is this a problem? These types of things point, uh, point to Christ, and if not viewed appropriately, lead to the lack of growth in Christ. So, the Sabbath, Jesus dealt with that. It was made for man, not the other way around. We look at festivals. We look at traditions. Those things are amoral situations. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what was going on here was the danger of viewing those things above God. Because those things can be controlled. can be controlled if you think about it. Traditions, festivals, Sabbaths. What were the, the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rules of that day doing? They were controlling something and putting Jesus' stamp on it. And we're always in danger of those things. Paul is warning the Colossians, these things point to Christ. All of it points to Christ. There's no point of you having a Sabbath that doesn't point to Christ. There's rest in Christ. When every time we celebrate any kind of festival, whether it's old or new, it should be pointing to Christ, period, hands down. We move on to B. It says here, avoid disqualifying behavior. Verses 18, 18 to 19. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That's going to kind of tell us what it is, but is anybody familiar with the term asceticism? Okay. 
after a while, we can, we can talk about it. Um, in worship of angels, puffed up with, without reason by sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together, there it is again, knit together, through his joints and ligaments, grows a growth that is from God. So again, Paul is uh, warning them of aestheticism, the worship of angels. That was a big deal. And we kind of still do that. We do it in different forms and different ways um, as a nation, not necessarily in, in Christian culture. But I've talked to other believers throughout my 47 years of, of on being on this planet. It can get really weird. I forget, what do you call it when um, people, is it horoscopes? I don't know what it is. What, I don't know. You know, everybody know what I'm talking about? Astrology. Yeah, I've had people come to me like, oh, I love Jesus and all the goody-goody stuff. And then they tell me that they're a Virgo and all this silliness. And I used to, I, I'll be honest with you, I used to buy into it because I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, okay. But I wasn't making the connection that that was stupid <clears throat> and dumb. <clears throat> and I was amen in it. And I was like, well, I'm born in February. I'm, I, th- I think I'm a water sign. Does anybody know? I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm water. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but whatever. Baptism. See, there you go. See how I just made something up? <clears throat> and then we're looking at visions. I would say visions is something that's still heavily promoted today. Along with, you know, people still think they're going to, you know, prophesy and go beyond God's word. They see this, they say that. It's usually found in dreams. I've been around a number of different uh, Christian circles, and it's always a dream or something to that level in the dream. But it's never like objective. It's always subjective. And then they want you to go in with them about uh, what that dream means. I've had people come to me and say, oh, I had a dream about that I was, I was walking with lions. I think that means I'm going to be a leader. And they're literally like 50, and they haven't made it yet. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to be a leader. The first 50 years kind of makes you a loser. <clears throat> but that's where we find ourselves. Aestheticism, worshiping angels, visions. This is all subjective. Subjective as visions are. Then sensuous mindlessness or vain imaginations, which ties into visions. And the worship, worshiping of angels. I made a note here. It's a simple note. These things, uh, these, these points to the idea, I want you guys to see this. All this, this aestheticism, this worship of angels, these visions, this, this sensuality of mind and these vain imaginations. You know what he's saying? Christ isn't enough. At the end of the day, Paul is pointing to something I found to be very clear. You're going to have people, and I think Craig talked about this, and even some people in some Christian circles, Christ is everything but enough. And people are going to find different ways to say it. They're going to find fancy ways to say it. And I would challenge us that God has challenged us to pay attention to those things and to lovingly and graciously challenge those who hold that view and let them know that it's subjective. It's subjective. Christ is your king. He is your ruler, whether you like it or you don't. We're moving on to see. We're closing here. We're going into um, verses 20 to 23, and we'll get into questions. And believe it or not, um, I, I didn't write any questions. Usually I have, like, tons of questions, but for some reason, 
I didn't, I couldn't think of a single one. So if you guys have questions, please um, keep them to yourself. No, I'm playing with you. I'd love to hear them. Um, so in verses 20 to 23, it says, if with Christ you died to the, to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do you not handle? Do not taste? Do not touch? Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Here we go again. According to man-made things. Or using things that God has created and turning in or trying to manipulate them. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. And here we go again with asceticism <clears throat> and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I put this down that only Christ brings true change. In reading these, this, this last passage, we find out, again, it's aestheticism. Self-made religion. And I'm sure you guys are aware of that. Everybody's religious. The people that are over here, they're at church too, just like we are. They got their own gods. They got their own whole ranking order, their own pastors. And the parents take their children to a different church. It's right, it's right here. Sports gods. They were adhering to a bunch of do's and don'ts. Again, we, we go right, right, back, right back into legalism. And they were tying themselves to ideas that gave off, again, philosophy. And I understand that philosophy can be you know, abstract and dealing with, um, just dealing with God. Right? He's, in, he's immaterial. He's invariant, unchanging for all time. That makes him true. I'm constantly having discussions with people about what truth actually is. Because um, they don't know, they think they do. And then we have their discussion. Never goes well. <clears throat> but if we're not careful, we can tie ourselves to ideas that give off the appearance of being wise. So just on the practical way of thinking, like the podcast, we have, you know, certain religious podcasts that we listen to, and this is just, just got to me. There's a, a podcast that I've been listening to that wasn't bad in and of itself, but I, I noticed I started gravitating to it more than I was reading the Word. Now, by God's grace, um, he was like, you need to leave it alone. Um, not that I, I'm not going around preaching it or anything like that, but what it did was it started, I started becoming a poor student of my time. And I started... Like, when I get home from, from work, I'm, in, I'm ready to go read. I try to do a thing called two-a-days. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, and then once I get off of work, I try to at least go pray and whatever. And I was looking forward to that, but I got caught up in the, in the podcast. And they had, they had good ideas. They were. They were good ideas. They're good things. It's like, oh, it's nice. But it was, it was drawing my heart away. And the Lord's pointing out to me that you, you kind of, you're lying to yourself. And you're enjoying something that's not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but you're pushing me to the side. 
So this is why I'm saying just being able to dive in, having the privilege to be able to dive into this lesson was personal. I mean, day to day, not just like, okay, it was just this catastrophic event that took place, but there's these little tiny things that I was like, oh, the Lord was just pointing out to me. And I hope that you guys are getting some of those things too. At the end of the day, all of this, what Paul was talking about in chapter two, is an attack, an assault on the sufficiency of Christ. And we wanted to be able to rest in that. Make sure that we are guarding against it, not just with those who may come to us with different ideas and so on and so forth, but what are we allowing to, to let in? Because this is what the, the, the issue is. Because if we go back up to chapter, chapter 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be caught up and be deluded by arguments. So it hadn't happened yet. Fully. And that's where we get ourselves into real danger. Toying with sin. Or playing around with too many amoral things that we can justify when it's still in our time away, our, our, our affections. And where our affections go, we all, we all know where that, where that goes. So, that's the conclusion of chapter two, the over, over, overview. I hope that I've done some justice and you guys have been um, encouraged. Um, like I said, normally I, I have tons of questions to, to, to give people. I don't know why I couldn't think of like one single question, but if you guys have any questions, um, hey, I got one now. So I think it was a good show of hands to people who said they understood what aestheticism was, right? So you don't have to embarrass yourself, just nod, I'm looking at you. Kinda, no, some of you don't know? Okay, who knows, raise your hand if you're brave. Okay, Dan, when did the mic? Me on? Asceticism is the putting off of sensual pleasures and physical things that make life pleasurable and also putting off um, associating with other people, basically separating yourself. And what you're doing is, is um, denying yourself for a purpose. And of course, that was an issue uh, that Paul was addressing. People were you know, even, even Martin Luther took part in some of that. He would, the self-flagellation, the flogging of himself to put off um, sin. And I think that the, was the purpose of this, the ascetics, was to separate themselves from what they saw as sinful practices in society. And it had no use. It didn't, it didn't do them any good. Uh, to separate themselves and deny themselves because Paul pointed it out, it has no, no value in the putting off the deeds of the flesh. So that's why he's pointing that out. Can, I don't know how this works because I got two microphones. Can, 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 okay, okay. So question on, the, on that, on that is can anybody, after what Dan had to say, can anybody think how that would be applicable, how it would be a danger into, into modern times? In Tennessee, I lived very close to a huge Amish community, and I would say that they are very steeped in, steeped in asceticism. 
they deny themselves even the most fundamental things, electricity, water <laughs> in their home, you know, it, they pump it in and n no, no bushes in their, no uh, grass or bushes in their yard because to them it's vanity. It's all vanity. But what I found in the people, the English, that's what they, how they refer to the rest of us, if you're not Amish, you're the English, the English, is that the English didn't have a lot of respect for that with them. I mean, they left them alone and all of that, but they didn't, they didn't value any of that. They were like, hey, they're just like the rest of us, and they are. They don't see that. They, they think that that is going to somehow earn, they're gonna earn by denying themselves they're gonna earn grace, and we all know that that's not. That is vanity. <laughs> hey, anyone else? Yeah, in uh, Isaiah 65, does that ring any bells to anybody? It says, uh, Mm, trying to figure out where to start here. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrifice in gardens and bear, burneth incense upon the altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and rot. Not on. Oh. Uh, which eat brine's. Uh, swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels, which say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all the day, so on. That's uh, asceticism to the, to the hills. Yeah, I would just like to say that can take place in modern days, even in a biblical church. You know, if your reasoning for your hope is that, well, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I pray, I read my Bible, I'm a, I'm a elder or leader in the church, or whatever your reasoning is, if that's your hope, then you're participating in that asceticism. But it's very, it's deceitful, you know, because you can be so close to the truth, but yet your hope is somewhere else yeah. I think everybody now yeah that's great good question <coughs> yeah to me it just is a reminder that the Lord or the enemy can use anything that can be a good thing to become a bad thing like it's good to be self-controlled it's good to have self-discipline and these things these are honoring to the Lord right Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into, left without walls. It's, it's bad news to have no self-control in your life. But the enemy would love to use that as a form of this is how you get right with God, through your self-control, rather than self-control being a fruit of your relationship, the outpouring of your established relationship with God. And that's the point I think that he's, you know, in Colossians at the end of chapter 2 there, mm -hmm. where he's saying that they indeed have an appearance mm -hmm. of 
um, godliness, but they are of a no, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom, an appearance of wisdom. That's the hard part. They look wise. Um, promoting self-made religion, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So your desire to practice self-control to stop your indulgence of the flesh is actually not doing the very thing that you want for it to do because it's not rooted in Christ, it's rooted in self. I think Jared has something. A few more minutes. Yeah, I was going to say on that note too that how it ties to legalism is, you know, I, I think that you can, you know, maybe there's something you're working on in your life that you're trying to get something out of your life and so you set up a rule for yourself that, you know, hey, this is like something I'm going to do as like a self-discipline thing to try to get this sin out of my life. And then it kind of works for you. And then you tell everybody else, like, well, you also have to do this thing because this, this is what worked for me. And then, you know, and then you get to the point where it's like, and by the way, if you're not doing this thing that, that I do, you're in sin, right? And, and so, you know, then we end up basically just where the Pharisees were, that we have all these rules that aren't in the Bible, that we're trying to enforce on people and saying if you're breaking these rules, you're, you're in sin, and they don't come from Scripture. I think kind of the key, um, or one of the key verses here is verse 19. He says, these people are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So I think like we, we always want to, we don't want to rely on God. We want to be able to rely on ourselves. So it's like, let's come up with a system that works, that we can grow without God. Mm -hmm. And that's really like all these errors, where they come from, is trying to grow apart from God. And like as soon as we disconnect from Christ, the growth stops and it just becomes a, a different religion and it, and it just, it doesn't work. So I think that's really the key to not falling into this trap is staying connected to Christ and realizing that our spiritual growth comes through him, as, as you said, and not through these other, you know, quote-unquote good ideas that we come up with. Anybody, Sam, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think ultimately it comes down to if you have a focus on um, behavior modification rather than a heart genuinely transformed by the working of the Spirit, and then out of that comes behavior modification, um, I just think it's kind of a... a horse cart thing. I don't know the saying, but you guys do. <laughs> yeah. Putting, the, putting the, the, the cart before the horse. For sure, for sure. Um, anybody else? Or? It also made me think of that verse that says, you know, our righteousness is filthy rags to God yeah. because we're trying to do it on our own and it takes us back to Christ. Like Nick's sermon last week um, was so good because it refocused you to back to you're righteous in the eyes of God because of Christ, not because of anything you do. And so it's just really hard for us because we like rules. We like, because it's something we can see. Like, oh, if I do this, then I'm a good Christian. If I don't do this, then I'm a bad Christian. And we have to just stay connected to the vine because the works get in the way because it's kind of just the way we're wired as humans. So we always have to go back to Christ and back to why we're doing what we're doing. It's because of him, our relationship with him, and, he, and the spirit enables us it's an outflow of a heart change. Yeah. Um, yeah, just things. And, like, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the aestheticism, the worship of angels, the visions. Um, 
in, I think, well, you're all saying it in different ways. And, and when I'm out on the street or wherever I'm at, I'm having debates and talking to other people, and they give me their worldview. I listen, and then one of the ways I like to challenge them is to ask them a simple question. They'll make a statement or whatever case is. I'll get clarification as to what they're telling me, whatever it may be, and I always ask them, your, in your worldview or your statement, who's at the center of it? And I get the same answer every single time. Me. And that gives me opportunity to go in and show them Christ. Um, and as I was studying for this, I saw a lot of that. Again, the tradition, whether it's amoral or just flat out, just, I mean, the worship of angels. If I went around telling you that I, I hang out with an angel, outside of you thinking that I'm crazy and I wouldn't be up here anymore, <clears throat> that's about me. I want somebody, I want you guys to be like, oh my gosh, James sees angels. And I'm so hoping from a phone call from Nick, he'll be like, let's go do it together. But no, because but, it makes me the center. And so I just, I'm gonna, we're going to pray because it's time for me to be quiet. Um, but I just want to encourage, as you guys are out and you're sharing your faith or, or whatever the case may be, I always tell those who, who, who have the people to talk to, you want to always keep things slowed down, verify what they are, they are um, telling you. But, but just point out that it's, you're the center of all this. Plain and simple. You're making yourself the center, and how does that work? All right, let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, again, we come before you because you've allowed us to. Uh, and, and just in that alone, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Uh, I, I know I thank you for the opportunity to be up here and uh, to, to share your word because it is about you and you alone. As we move forward on to corporate worship, Lord, please, as people come to, to, into the building, please focus their hearts on you. In your son, let me pray.